The days are getting away from me. It's late at night. I'm just about to release the podcast. I have to put some front material in here. I've got to read you the tweet that inspired the story. So here goes. Something is moving your plates. You live alone. Rarely entertain and keep a meticulously orderly environment. But something moves the plates from one cupboard to another. You never hear it. And of course, you don't see anything until the act is done. How do you solve the mystery? Let's dive right in to Christopher Talon's story to fill in the empty spaces. If you've ever gone to a reading and felt bored, TRBM is the show for you. TRBM is for writers what time lapse was for painters. Guitar solos and spotlights were for bands. What chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. What does TRBM stand for? Totally real bookmaking. Telling righteous ballads, man? Toast, ravioli, bologna, and manicotti. The reluctant book mess? You decide. Yeah, okay. So, like, I'm telling a bedtime story to a, to a grown-up. Yeah. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah, bedtime stories to grown-ups. Uh, Rich has already taken that. He's got, he's, what, what, uh, let's see, exactly the title of his podcast is Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs, I think. Sorry, Rich, if that's wrong. <laughs> well, it's a good idea either way. Um, yeah. Okay. Then I'll start it with after I first got out of the military, I went and rented a house up in the mountains of Tennessee. The kind of place you would go. Yeah. In the smoky mountains, the kind of place you would go for a romantic getaway, but I just wanted to go to be by myself. Romancing the self. I love it. Yeah. Some self care after, (laughs) after, after a long time spent in the military, a couple trips to Iraq. So get some solace in the American wilderness up in the mountains. First thing I do when I get into town, stop at the store, grab some food, grab some drinks, a couple beers, drive all the way up the hill in this tiny little four-cylinder car, which is starting to smell like coolant and other chemicals oh, no. as it's trying to ascend this steep mountain, gravel slipping under the tires the entire way, making me almost shit my pants. <laughs> and when I finally get to the top, there's a tiny little green metal-roofed two-window cabin. A little dark. The sun is already starting to set. (laughs) The sky is really pretty neon orange in the receding half of the sky with just a thin blood red line at the very strip of the top of the mountains. Mm. I open the door and I go inside. And the first thing I see on the floor in front of me is a scorpion. Oh, oh my gosh. And there's not many scorpions in Tennessee. So that is notable. Hmm. I immediately drop everything. One of the beers flies open. The scorpion runs under the couch. I go into the kitchen and I look for the biggest clear glass cup that I can find. And when I open it, I notice all the cups are at the very top. All the bowls are in the middle and all the plates Mm. are at the bottom. Mm. I scooch up. Genius. Genius setup here. Keep going. (laughs) I love it. I scooch up on my tiptoes, leaning up against the cupboard or leaning up against the counter, grab the biggest cup that I can see, come back in, and look under the couch. But then as I'm on the couch, I don't see anything on the ground. I don't see anything under the couch. And I hear, and the scorpion just lets itself out the open door. I go out. I don't even see where it is. Pick up my things. Come back in. 
set up all the kitchen, try to forget everything after a quick sweep of the house shows that there's nothing besides just a maybe a common spider here and there. After I get everything set up, I look outside. It's completely dark. I switch on the lights to the back porch, grab the beers off the off the front porch where I'd forgot to bring them in earlier. <laughs> I sit in the rocking chair, crack one, but the top is still got dirt all over from where it hit the ground. So I think, okay, I'm going to go inside and get a cup. I go back inside, open the cupboards, start to lean up, but there aren't any cups in the cupboard anymore. Oh, The plates are on the bottom, the bowls are in the middle, and the top is empty. There used to be at least, I don't know, at least close to two dozen cups, different sizes, plastic, glass, and now it's just empty. Mm. So I sit there thinking, am I crazy? How many beers did I, I haven't even been drinking yet. Start looking around in the other cupboards, and then finally down by the ground under the sink are all the cups. That's definitely not where they were before, but I don't know. I just grab one and I go back outside. Eventually, I have a few beers, come back inside, go to sleep. The next morning, I wake up, I get some of the instant coffee that I bought from the store, and I go to get a mug from underneath the sink, but when I go to look underneath the sink, nothing's there. I look back where they were the night before, where I thought they were, and there they all are again. Everything was just the way that it was before. So I have a cup of coffee, then I go for a walk. Unbeknownst to you, by the way, one thing that's really important that the reader was able to see, the listener, was that the scorpion from the previous day is upside down, dead and desiccated in the sink. You uh, you noticed it subconsciously, so you're walking. I just wanted to throw that in the mix for you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> after having carefully disposed of... The scorpion's body. I went for a walk to clear my head. <laughs> it was dramatic. <laughs> the dishes moving wasn't an issue. All that other stuff. But that damn scorpion <laughs> reminded you of the desert <laughs> when you were in war. And yeah, uh, yeah it, it brought you back to a to a moment. And and now you just you're reflecting on it while you're walking. Yeah, yeah. And then all the all the fear and rage of the previous months came bubbling to a head. So I had to go for a walk and cool out. I walked all the way to the bottom of the mountain, not realizing that the walk back would suck triple than the walk down. Mm. So by the time I made it back to the top, I had stopped countless times, was sucking air and every part of my legs hurt. But when I was about a hundred feet from the house, I heard a sound like uh, somebody breaking dishes in the, in the back of a restaurant. Just all at once, it sounded like everything hit the ground, and then every door inside the place slammed shut. And I'm not going to lie, I peed my pants a little. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, better men than you have have actually defecated in a situation like that. (laughs) It it happens, it's a fear response. (laughs) And then, then I walked to the car, he's... The keys were in my pocket, and as I was about to walk up to the car, maybe 10 feet from the door, a scorpion walked out from underneath and stood between me and the, and the car. Oh, my God. How big is it? Like, is it, is, it a, is it a large scorpion or about the size of your hand, palm of your hand? Mm, yeah, maybe not quite the full size of your hand. 
seventy-five percent of the of a person's yeah. hand. Wow, a full-grown person. Yeah, for those who are watching, <laughs> of a newborn infant's hand. <laughs> Just step on it. <laughs> uh, so I walked to the other side of the car, and when I got to the other side, there were two scorpions. Oh man! And then, as I sat there thinking what to do next. The door to the cabin creaked open just a few inches. So I started walking to the house slowly. Yes. Each footfall on the gravel sounded like a waterfall. Ooh. I could feel new beads of sweat with each beat of my heart falling down my forehead. Wow. I took the first step, second step, and then I was on the landing. And I felt like the air outside was sucking into the house, Ooh. pulling me towards it. Oh. Like a tractor beam. <laughs> and then right when I put my hand on the door to push it open, it slammed shut in my face. Ooh. Didn't see that coming. You're not welcome here. You assume it's the scorpions, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Not very hospitable. And as much as everything inside me was telling me to leave, it felt like something wouldn't let me. Wow. And then the narrator took a five-minute break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, now I got I got to take a second and think what might happen next because the whatever the first thing I think is going to happen next shouldn't happen next. Isn't that always the way? That is a that's a beautiful uh storytelling moment is that when you get to these moments of tension like you've created a uh in this case maybe a jump scare or something like that. You don't want to yeah. sell for the first really cheap thing that you come across. It's interesting to me that you have scorpions in play in Tennessee. There may be scorpions in Tennessee, but the, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think they're they're too active uh, in that area. And so it's this like out of place kind of uh creature that that I feel like does in all sincerity, I really feel like it. Uh, you brought it into the story because of the the war veteran um, angle and being in Iraq, and there are scorpions in Iraq, um, and and so maybe there really is some sort of psychological thriller oh, element building. I've I've almost stepped on a scorpion in Iraq, and I've almost stepped on a scorpion in Tennessee. <laughs> no kidding. So there are yeah. scorpions in Tennessee. Well, son of a bitch. That was a good way, by the way, to uh, gently correct my misinformation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many of them there are. I only saw the one that I almost stepped on, but it was a pet scorpion. That's <laughs> someone had yeah. released into the wild. No, I'm, and I asked them, I was like, are there scorpions in Tennessee? They're like, there's everything in Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> they're bears. <laughs> they're, they're lions. <laughs> no tigers yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, but like, you know, Stephen James, who you had on the show before and who <laughs> yeah. I got to have a like chance lunch with one time, mm. uh, I've heard him talk about writing yourself into a corner because mm. yes. that's, you know, when nobody knows what's going to happen next, including you, that's like the most thrilling stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. It is the place where more authors go wrong than any other place, I think, is when they write themselves into a corner and... Uh, take an easy way out uh, yeah. because they feel mentally fatigued from trying to to figure out the story. Um, yeah, or so. they act like they're going to get put into a corner, but then they don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's always always disappointing. Gosh, speaking of of Stephen James, I so wish I would have had this story format um, when when I had him as a guest because I think that it would have been extremely fun and informative to just hear his storytelling oh, yeah, uh, yeah. process. He's written so many novels. He's and he un- he'd be like, well, and then next, what we're going to do is we're going to do this because this is how you build tension. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I'm getting a, a lesson while I'm getting a story. Which that, yeah, that guy is a professor of, of creative writing. And yes, he is. He is. Um, 
amazing mind. Um, yeah. So yeah, man. Okay. Um, the first angle that I thought of immediately was, um, oh, what's that movie called with uh, Tom Cruise's ex-wife? Uh, where they they live in a haunted house, but then at the end, like the big spoiler. Well, no, go ahead. Spoiler, it's been, it's don't, been out don't, for too long. Yeah. It's been out for over a decade. So if you haven't yeah. seen it by now, but spoiler alert, um, they live in a house that's haunted, but then they find out that they're the ghosts. Oh, I like that. I like, yeah, so that's cool. I've I was going to do a before. thing like this guy, like actually died and he's a ghost and like he's okay. fucking with other people. But I was like, no, that oh, sounds, yeah. that's my first thought. And then that's also directly a rip off of a movie that I thought was awesome. So, okay. So, I mean, there's a couple of things. I'm not because going with that. It's okay. You don't have to go with it, but I do yeah. still want to just briefly explore why I really like it. And I think possibly what your mind did to get you there is, is like, while you're writing the story, you're trying to figure out why are the dishes moving? And if you're anything like me, you're like, I don't want the scorpions to be the culprit of the moving dishes. Um, and yeah, so no, you're just you're, a part of it, right? They're just a part of this whole thing. And so you're, you're still trying to look for the anchor to why the dishes are moving. And I would say even like there's a sixth sense kind of an element to the angle that you were looking at, which is that there's somebody else staying in the cabin and you're the kind of ghost who is not willing to admit that you're dead and so you orchestrate these ways to ignore that there's actually somebody occupying the house and so when you're on the the porch they're inside when they're inside uh or vice versa you know and and so you are actually moving the dishes yourself because you remember where they were supposed to be but the people who now occupy this this cabin are like why do the dishes keep moving so you know, that that was kind of my thought process is you're just trying to put the dishes back where they belong or or figure out like what the heck's going on. So you're you're really moving them or something. Yeah. Hmm. You know what? I don't hate that. Um all right. Maybe we'll go with that and just see. Okay. <laughs> oh, you know what? I got an idea. Let's right. do it. Okay. So left off at the door shut in the in my face, right? Yes. You're compelled to go inside, but you're also scared and something's trying to keep you out. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. So I put my hand on the door and then it shut in my face. When I tried to open it, it was locked and I heard feet scuffling on the inside. I must have left my phone inside because I don't have it on me. So I go to the back on the porch. There's a slider door. I open it and I go inside. The lights are all on. The TV is on. I go into the kitchen and now there's plates and cups out set out for people to use on the counter and on the kitchen table and it looks like people have been using them for a day or more and just not putting them away but i've only been out of here for couldn't have been more than two hours Mm. then behind me i hear the bathroom door shut i walk over to that gently try to open the knob but it's locked right in the world so I go to the other corner of the house and I wait. I wait to see who, if anyone, comes out of this bathroom. And after a few minutes, the door unlocks, opens, and it's my fiance. What? And she's crying. Oh. So I call to her, but she ignores me. Oh, you must have really pissed her off. <laughs> and I'm wondering what she's doing here because we had talked about coming here. And then I remembered that I remember the trip up the mountain from the grocery store, but I don't remember much before that. I don't remember how we got into Tennessee. Uh, and I don't remember even traveling here with her. Uh, and then I remember the last thing that I did see before I got here was an explosion. Ooh. I was inside an armored vehicle. 
it exploded. And then the next thing, I was here. Hmm. How do I start wording the rest of that and to pull it all into focus now that he died in Iraq? Yeah. Well, I guess I'll just say it bluntly then. He died <laughs> in Iraq. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He's dead. Fucking dead. Then it, then it hit me. I died there. She took this trip that we were supposed to take, and she was the one who was moving everything, and I just couldn't accept or see her. Mm. You know, to be the kind of the, to be the kind of guy who has to go uh, into a war torn place and serve in the military, you have to be able to kind of make these these uh, breaks with the people that you love, even though you you hold dearly to those ties and you want those people to wait for you. You have to approach each day like you've left them, that they're gone or the pain yeah. is too much to go out there and, and do the work. Um, yeah. Not everybody's that way, but, but this is, you know, one, one way that it can be. And uh, maybe, maybe you told her at some point uh, on your deployment, like we can't talk for a while. It's, it's too hard. Uh, and then maybe, maybe you died during that period of time. Mm. And there's a lot of regret about that. Yeah. Are you going to tell any of the story or is it all the guest? Uh, it kind of depends on how it goes. So um, when and, I was and say, if you want to flow in and out of this thing, if you get an idea, go ahead. Yeah, I do a little bit. I, I try I try to come in and, and offer some thoughts and ideas about the story. So when I had Heather on the show and her her episode will air um, uh, for for you and I this coming Wednesday. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. So w- when I had her, there were different points where I could feel that for whatever reason, she was so intimately attached to the you character that she couldn't actually uh, add tension to the story. So I had to keep saying like, hey, this is what I think might happen. But you're naturally flowing with a lot of your own tension and creating your own story. So I, I really do think depending on who's telling the story, I uh, complicate things more or less depending on <laughs> you know <laughs> how, how okay, things cool. want to go. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'll take the silence or most of the silence is a compliment that it's going well, not a, when are you going to get to the point? <laughs> yeah, no, not, a, not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. When you, when you jumped to the re- the realization that you were dead for me, that was a moment where I was like, this is a fun structure at the moment because we have a first act of coming to the cabin. We have a second act of the scorpions, the dishes moving uh, and kind of like what's going on here. And now you jump into a third act, what feels prematurely. Um, and I think that really great storytellers will sometimes kind of invert a third act. Uh, in fact, the, the one I'm thinking of right now is glass onion if you i don't know if you've watched it it's being talked about ad nauseum i was gonna say all all um the family get-togethers and stuff people are like have you watched the new glass onion well you gotta watch the first one like, okay <laughs> yeah i i mean I'll, I'll go on the record as saying i do really like knives out and i thought that glass onion was overly political and that kind of like bogged it down for me but the structure was really fun because you have a clear act one act two and then right when you should be jumping into act three it flips act three and almost like tells it backwards um and I think that made it really fun, which feels like this story in some ways is doing that because now I don't think we've come to the conclusion. We haven't come to the catharsis or the epiphany uh, or the like kind of uh, possibly the climactic moment. And then you work backwards to kind of figure out how you how you got there. Like, what is the purpose of your death? Why are you at this cabin? Because that's the unanswered question. Um, the scorpions possibly your answer just in in their tie to being iraq but there's two unanswered questions as far as i see where the story's at right now things that i need resolved oh were you gonna say just say more <laughs> no why so just so, resolve the resolve the tension stupid um <laughs> no no not not necessarily i was just telling you how i saw the story <laughs> okay all right it's your story 
<laughs> should we uh, should we wrap it up and put a nice little ending on it then? Let's do it. Alrighty. Okay. We hadn't talked for a little over two weeks before it happened because I wasn't able to get to a phone when we were when we were out on. Because uh, we were outside the gate and there was no phone to to call home with. But one of the last things she said was that she was going to book us a cabin in Tennessee when I got home. Ah. And she made me promise to take care of myself and be there with her. Mm. Um, I don't I don't know. There's not really a good ending outside I think of like that. Classic. Dishes. Dishes. You're moving the dishes for a reason. That's what's going on here. She has, she has a favorite dish print or something. I mean, that sounds like really great grandma-y, but there's something yeah. there. Some yeah. reason... Why yeah, you're messing with those dishes, man? Gotta make it. <laughs> um, I wonder if you're telling her that that that's what it sounded like when the the, the armored vehicle exploded, like a, a bunch of breaking dishes, um, and you're trying to communicate with her that you're there, and that's the only way that you can think of to do it. That's not your nice little bow, though. Yeah, but, no, that hmm. <laughs> tasty microphone. I'm getting kind of stumped. Let's put a little Jody Sperling magic on it. Help me out. Yeah, I don't. Um, I, I would love to give you some magic. So for for me, I, I'm I'm thinking about uh, you promised to promised to meet her at the cabin, and since you're inviting me into the story, I do. I'm I'm attached to the idea that there was a, it was a difficult time for you. You knew you were going on a mission that had a low percentage of success. Uh, bring a little maverick into this uh top gun maverick and so (laughs) you (laughs) you can see all the stories like i'm surrounded by right now um and so you 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 promise to be there but in the back of your mind you know the chances are really really low so there's a sense of guilt you've told her you're not going to be talking with her for a while and uh so you know that that crash sounds like broken dishes and then you don't even realize you're dead you think that you survived like holy crap i survived and when you get back, they let you go home, which is completely just not what you would have ever expected. This stuff happens to soldiers all the time. It's part of being uh, deployed. Uh, you're going to be in danger. But they're like, you know what? You've served your country well, and uh, we're sending you home. And so you excitedly get to the, the the airport. You go straight to Tennessee. And somewhere along the way, you forgot that you were even meeting your fiance there. That's where the story was, was started is that you thought you were going up for some self care, yeah. uh, which tells me that you you were really trying to erase your fiance. You were trying as hard as you could to erase her because of the guilt that you felt. Uh, and mm. when she steps into your world, Oh my gosh, it's complex. It's really complex because when she steps into your world and you see her come out of the bathroom, man, she's there. Why did she go? She, she, she went somewhere to grief for her own self-care. And I don't have a really great answer. I don't know that we actually have to tie it up with a bow. I think that there's some like really strong emotional resonance in the setup. And uh, the story doesn't have to be ours. In fact, uh, at the end of every episode that we do with a story episode, I remind the listener that if they like this story and they want to explore it, it's theirs to have. Uh, we're telling a live story and nobody's going to tell it the same way. You can tell Chris and I approach the the process a little bit differently. And um if you if you want to figure out how the story ends, take it away, write it, and uh, let us know, <laughs> so we yeah. can so we can support you uh, if you if you decide to send it out into the world. Yeah, yeah, write it and send it to me, and I'll I'll put it on my uh, website. Yes, perfect. I love that, man. So if you're listening, uh, do that. 
And that's that's kind of an exciting way to to wrap the story. And it's also a perfect moment to transition quickly. Do I have a few more minutes with you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Okay. So you you are also going to be doing a little bit of co-hosting duties, just like, like Rich. 30, 45 I... minutes. Oh, sorry. Perfect. Great. No, that's great, man. So uh, just like I talked with Rich, who's also going to be kind of doing a rotating co-host uh, situation with me, um, when we do a three-person, I actually think it could be even more fun uh, because each of us has the opportunity to kind of interject and take the story in a different direction. There'll be a lot of push-pull tension depending yeah. on the the kind of like the third personality that jumps into the room. Um, but for, for the listeners, there will be some times where Chris is on here with me and he'll run with a story and tell a story. And there will be times where it's just me and a guest. And then occasionally I will riff on one of the stories that I like and just tell you a little bit of a story and explore it and see how it's going. Um, so with that in mind, talk a little bit about your story process so that people can kind of get like a flavor of you. And this is a good time to talk about switchers as well, which I will drop links to that in the show notes. Um, and like you can even touch on what you feel like might be an ideal way for you to sit in the, the co-host chair. Um, okay. So I guess start in order there, uh, storytelling process. Um, I do kind of like what you do, uh, where you say you'll write until you hate it and then you'll start over. Yeah. Um, that's usually what I do f- with ideas. I'll, I'll have an idea and I'll write, you know, five to 25 pages on it and go, okay, I think I know what this is about. And then I actually start writing it. Um, so yeah, I'll kind of really stumble my way through an idea like I was doing in certain parts, <laughs> certain parts on this. But, uh, instead of, <laughs> having to get from a to b to c i'll you know write until i go okay i don't know what to do anymore and then i'll think about that i'll go on a walk and think about it Mm. you know i'll just sit sit quietly and think about it i'll read something else and then eventually my mind will drift back to that and start going oh you know what we could do then i come back to it and try to figure out kind of like what you were doing where you're like you know what when i look at this what i see behind all that pushing that is this this and this yeah um i have a really hard time seeing that immediately but then Mm -hmm. i'll come back and i'll go oh you know what that's deeper than i thought it was there's a connection to be made here there and start filling in like you did Um, yeah where it's like oh you know what that works perfectly we can go back and make it like somebody said this thing or told this person that they would be here then and that's why they're here now um but storytelling just in general i was actually giving a Oh, how old is she? Like 10, 11 year old, some advice on writing a, a novel. Mm-hmm. And I said, the, the biggest thing is just force yourself to finish it before you start trying to get too intricate because mm-hmm. the same thing, like you got to finish building your house before you paint it. Yeah. So that was the thing I learned slowly over writing this book, like two and a half years could have been done in half the time easily. Yeah. But, uh, I wanted to go back and edit too much right after I had written something rather than just Mm -hmm. push, push, push until I get to the end. Yeah. I, I, it's such a complex relationship for me about that. So I am working on a a novel right now. Um, The working title is the one where the, the, the uh, character kills his author. Um, And Mm -hmm. just having this kind of idea of like, as authors, uh, one of the main things that we do is is punish the characters in our stories, and sometimes yeah. to ridiculous lengths. And I thought, what if a, a character became self aware and was like, "F this! Like this is just is unfair, and I'm going to kill you because I want a better life. <laughs> I yeah. can write my own life." Um, 
And so as I'm writing it, like I keep having, I go back and I'm, I'm trying to edit this scene and I keep like editing more suffering into it for him more and more and more suffering, just making it ridiculously awful what he goes through. Uh, yeah. I've not done that before. That's kind of a new way for me to do is I'm building the story by, by reading through it and editing and filling in and filling in. And the story oh. becomes more complex. As I'm doing it. I've never, this is brand new stuff for me. So, yeah. So it, you said, you said it took you two and a half years to write switchers. Um, and I guess yeah, a, uh, another question, I don't even actually go ahead. Sorry. Oh no. I said, yeah, about, about that. Okay. I don't know. Are you working on another novel right now? I, I don't know if I've even asked you that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working yeah. on a novel now that's uh, about, uh, uh, girl in her like mid 20s who's an emt and she has these paranormal powers where she can like walk in between the land of the living and the dead mm. like, basically where people that recently died go to be taken to wherever they go next very cool um but yeah she can only access that when she's unconscious so uh-huh. uh yeah and there's also a police officer that helps her out and uh the main bad guy is a rural cult leader in rural like michigan it like it yeah um different authors work different ways so you can either just set this aside or you might even be aware of it but there's a a russian author who writes um book called night shift day shift um twilight shift uh i can't even pronounce the name even if i could remember i think it's lukashenko but um if you look yeah if you if you look up night watch you'll find it uh kind of a similar idea different enough that I don't think that it would necessarily influence you, but it might, it might just be something to like be aware of. Um, I really enjoyed the books a lot. Um, read three of them. I think there are more. So that's cool. So you're working on a, another novel and uh, you said almost like regretfully, you could have written switchers faster. Do you think it could have been the book that it is? Had you taken a more direct route? Mm, I mean, probably not. Cause it was the first one that I actually wrote beginning to end edited several times had somebody else look at it and edit you know what i mean yeah. um and it took that amount of time just to figure out who all those people that could and would help me would be mm-hmm. so now i can do it faster just out of having gone through the process one time but yeah mm-hmm. if i had gone any faster than that it probably would have been sloppy yeah yeah um it is you you talked early in this episode about kind of being uh ADD ADHD about your process and and you you do write really short chapters really punchy sections there's a lot of back and forth um, really short sometimes like a yes, very, very. Or two. yeah and and for for the reader jumping into it there is a sense um like you really embody switching when you talk about switchers and switching as a reader, you really embody that. You're like, uh, th- there can be moments that verge on jarring because of like that switch from adult to child. And I don't want to give away more than you want to tell. Um, but as, as somebody who's read the book, uh, that was my experience and it was really fun. It was a book that <laughs> this, this will start by sounding like not a compliment, but I mean it sincerely <laughs> as a compliment. It's a book that you can put down quickly. Like you can read snippets, you can jump out and do something else. Uh, and then you can return to it. And because yeah. there's an, an element of self-containedness to the sections, you don't get lost in the plot. And I think that that's a really big victory for the book. Few books can do that. I tend to be really verbose. And so I, I've, in some of my early novels, there are 50 page chapters and that's, it turns a, a lot of people away. So I think that your book has like wide open arms for somebody who's got ADD or ADHD and maybe can only stand uh, to read for six minutes at a time. It works really well in that mode. 
Yeah. I've talked to people that extremely put downable. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I've I've talked to people that read like doorstops of a book, you know, like routinely. And they're like, why do you make the chapters so short? Like to them, it doesn't make sense why I would even want to do that. Mm -hmm. But I haven't had anybody like uh, necessarily complain about it. But for people that, yeah, like to read 50 to 150 pages at a time, that might be a little much. (laughs) <laughs> i like that i I love i love that mode i did read your book in two sittings um to be honest as well though so uh i oh, i returned cool. to it a second time and then i i ate it in more bite-sized pieces and that was when i did discover that i think it works better in that way um which if this podcast is doing what it's supposed to do i think it will help people who are listening to get a sense about the author and and like you can really get behind the scenes and feel like oh yeah i would love to explore what they're writing um so as far as your second book goes do you do you have a deadline for yourself or what are your thoughts there i would like to have it out by like no later than halloween next year okay so but i'm thinking it would probably time up good for a fall release because it's kind of spooky yeah yeah it's got the paranormal sweet yeah okay um and then if i remember right just from our side conversations you are exclusive on amazon at this point um for ebooks but you can get a physical, you know, uh, what do you call it? A paperback copy from Ingram Spark, Barnes and Noble.com oh, cool. okay. or Amazon.com or my website. Yes. Okay. So let's, let's pause just briefly because I am a fan of uh, direct fulfillment. Do you offer any kind of discount if they buy the book directly from you? Or are there any perks if they go directly to your website? You can buy an autographed copy that will get mailed to you for the same price as it costs on barnesandnoble.com just to order it. Perfect. So you get an autographed copy, something, a thumbprint from the author himself. Yep. Uh, okay. Autographed. Awesome. And I, I try to write a note to for everybody that buys a book, unless they don't want me to. I've had a few people that are like, no, it's okay. Just sign it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it feels kind of good uh, to to Jeno. They're like, I, I just want this when when he's famous. I've got a signed copy, and it's not, yeah. uh, you know, autographed to me, so I can sell this bad boy and make some serious dough. That would be interesting if you spent like ten to fifteen dollars per book and just bought a ton of books from independent authors. Yeah. And, you know, if just one of them hits, and then you go, I've got a first edition self published copy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. It's crazy. That that reminds me, by the way, when we very first met, I was uh, agented and looking to publish traditionally, and I, I I gave the finger to the traditional publishing world, maybe never to return. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's it's a different world now than it was twenty years yeah. ago. Brandon Sanderson showed us that he exactly. Brandon Sanderson just got a better deal on what is it four or five books mm-hmm. than maybe anybody has ever gotten, and he mm-hmm. got it exclusively from the people that want to read it. Exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. It is. It's... Every public, every publisher in America, for sure, is shitting their pants right now. Yeah, whether they're talking <laughs> about it or not is a different thing. And 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 so I, I'm not going to drone on and on, but this has just been at the forefront of my mind. I asked a question on Twitter recently about um, if Amazon offered you 2.5 million dollars salary for a year to sabotage bookstores, would you do it? Um, and the reason I <laughs> go on Twitter, well, you are you, you already know. Like uh, I, well, I think I told you. The the quote unquote book tour that I'm on, 
Mm-hmm. I am calling it Everywhere But Bookstores Tour. Yes. Okay. I love it. So we can talk <laughs> just a teeny bit about this because, uh, and and I will say for for the record, anybody listening, this comes from a little bit of personal bitterness because I went to some local bookstores. I'm not going to name them to support my podcast in exchange for some like ridiculously cheap advertising for their store. And I told them my listeners, the, my listener base, the kind of people who are going to shop at your stores and both of them turned me away. And I think that was the moment where I was like, this doesn't feel local. I'm a local author. You're supposed to be a local bookstore. You gave me the snub. And I started to look, I think with a little bit of bitterness at bookstores, but it opened me up to the reality that bookstores, whether it's a corporate or a local are still the bastion of the publishers. You're mm. only for the most part going to find traditionally published books in bookstores. And that's a big F you to most of the local authors who are doing great work. And so in that way, I'm kind of like, yeah, if Amazon wants to pay me to sabotage bookstores, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've, there are a couple of independent bookstores in Michigan and Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo um, that are really great to local authors. There mm-hmm. are some, I don't want to blow them up too much by saying this, so I won't say <laughs> their name. But there are places in West Michigan that if you're like, hey, I'm a local author, they'll be like, oh, okay, here, give us your book. We'll put it up here for free. If anybody buys it, we'll just put the money aside for you. You can come pick it up. Like, okay. Wow, that's awesome. And, and other businesses that aren't even bookstores, that's kind of my business model right now is I'm in a dispensary. I just mm. went and picked up 20 bucks. <laughs> Nice. The dispensary is paying me now. Um, and, <laughs> well, uh, the problem is you don't walk out with the money, though. <laughs> you walk out yeah, with product. You're like, this is yeah, more like an exchange thing. system. Um, <laughs> let me just put this towards something. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the Mortals Cafe in Grand Rapids, too, uh, is a death-themed coffee place. And mm. They sell my book there. And both of them were like, yeah, you've got um, a little QR code sheet so we don't have to inventory it. That's fine. And um, as long as you just plug us on your social media that the book is here and people should come here then we'll let you keep putting our stuff here so once every week or two i just say you know get on a story and go hey everybody go to the store and buy my book yeah that is brilliant i'm actually going to steal that for sure uh, as i'm thinking about ways to to get my book everybody should steal that everybody should steal that and also qr codes people love qr codes now Mm -hmm. especially businesses if you can i went to um staples yeah and i just had them print me out like it looks like a like a one page, like breakfast diner menu, mm-hmm. but it has a description of my book, a picture of it, a picture mm-hmm. of me, my website, my podcast name, and then, you know, cash app, QR code, Venmo, QR code, yeah, credit card, QR code, all those things on it. And people are like, oh, this is great. Yeah. Just hang that up over there next to the books and they forget about it. And you just hopefully sell books and collect money. That's amazing. Okay. So, so uh, I fully understand it. Everybody listening, the benefit in doing that is that you're actually not, I mean, even though it's being sold at that location, they're not dealing with it in any taxable way. So they don't have to keep a record of the sale, but they can actually dispense the book for you. So someone buys Mm -hmm. the book, shows the receipt and then walks away with the book. Yep. That's really, really cool. Um, Yeah. Because all the businesses I've talked to, uh, the ones that have been interested initially, whether they followed through on it or not they're like oh i don't know if we can i go i got a qr code thing you don't have to do any inventory or handle any money and they go oh okay well let me talk to my manager about that yeah Yeah. that's brilliant i like that um here's here's a further spin on it too uh it might be the most brilliant way to house inventory 
if if you have like say you order six or seven cases of your book, you mm-hmm. can just find that many places to to keep the book. It doesn't require you to keep it in that location, but it, it makes it so that you don't have to pay for like a storage shed or anything like that. I mean, seven cases yeah. of a book is not necessarily uh, storage shed material, anyways. But you know what I'm saying? Like if you get to the point where you have a backlist of seven or eight books and you've got seven or eight cases of each, it's like a, a bedroom you're dedicating to your books if you want to sell film. So I like that idea too. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> speaking of inventory, like I just had at one point, I just gave a stack of books to all these places. And then when I ran low and I needed more, I just went there and I was like, hey, I need a couple of these. And I just grabbed them. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?